Over the past week, I must have seen numerous headlines talking about how a coal front was moving through most of the United States from the middle of the country all the way to the east, and how this development was putting quite a crunch on the winter travel plans of people around Thanksgiving, and even now as they return, try and get work done, holiday travel, preparations for Christmas. This wasn't the first announcement that I'd seen about the upcoming cold and how we could all anticipate the fact that a cold winter was often a common sign, and yet something about these cold fronts and the way they formed and the temperatures they were bringing and the impact they were having were far from normal. I'm not sure how fortuitous this was, if it was great planning or if perhaps it was just an understanding, but Tom Taylor starts off a great issue for us on this edition of the DC Comics News, Spinner Rack, episode number 37. I start things off with Detective Comics, number 1017. In this story, Orphans, by Tom Taylor, we not only have the opportunity to experience powerful sensation of cold, but also the impact that it has on one member of a community, a member who is often overlooked, and yet at the same time is quite the varied or mere variation on Bruce Wayne. The story opens with Bruce calling a memory with his mother, and the colors here are just lovely. In fact, let me pause for a moment to give credit to the entire team, because along with Tom Taylor's beautiful story is this great art from Fernando Blanco. Gorgeous colors from John Callis. I hope I'm saying that right. That provide this lovely golden hue to the memory and the stark contrast of the cold here in the present. I love the effect of the letters from Travis Lanham, and the Tony S. Daniel and Brad Anderson cover is matched in quality only by the Joshua Middleton variant cover, all of which will look just nice, if not amazing, on your bookshelf or in your collection. Now why this story should be there, in my opinion, and why it leads off this episode of the DC Comics News Spinner Rack, is the fact that it touches on something that, in many ways, reaches into the foundations of who Batman and Bruce Wayne are. In this story, Batman learns about an orphan who's run away from one of his orphanages, and how they were never something that he felt comfortable with as a child. That visiting the orphanages with his mother and father to bring gifts and to provide a bit of uplift to what seemed like otherwise unpleasant, if not boring, dull, or lonely days. But how his mother informed him that as Wayne's, with their success, they had a responsibility to look after those that needed the most care, that required the most additional assistance because of the situation that life had brought them to. So now that one of these orphans has run away, the third in as many from one of Bruce Wayne's orphanages sends the Batman on a tear. 
not only to find a missing boy and to attempt to do so as throughout the course of the story the temperatures in Gotham drop from 33 degrees to 32 which is the freezing point too far far below and how even a grudge with Damien is something that can be set aside in the hope that this boy's life can be saved. It's a powerful story and one that has more than a few anticipated but certainly not expected twists and some really intriguing revelations, all of which bring Batman and Bruce Wayne to a point where they have to recognize the importance and the effect of each identity and when it's best to rely on one over the other and when it's important to remember how if one can provide the prevention there are so many ways that Batman just isn't necessary or can be helpful or used or relied on in other circumstances because the prevention has solved one of the mysteries that he might have been tasked to help with or play a role in. The impact of this story is powerful, brilliantly timed, and whether again that was fortuitous or there was an intention in mind, but it's a really impressive recognition of what it's like to have your pulse on the finger of a consciousness or the ability to take an idea that should be perhaps on the forefront of people's minds as we move into this cold season and the people who might need more help than us and whether or not we spend enough time thinking about them because when we don't the consequences that we might face are harrowing and can often challenge who we are why we're here and what we're supposed to be doing great tale of reflection not only for bruce wayne and batman but i believe for ourselves as the reader and a great way to start off this episode with a solid book with a great five out of five score and a perfect lead-in to our second choice interestingly enough that second choice is another detective story Far Sector number two is a great follow-up chapter to a very powerful introduction that I felt that Far Sector number one did an amazing job accomplishing and also setting a series of expectations for what was to follow. Issue number two certainly does not let us down. This is a story by N.K. Jemison with art and color by Jamal Campbell. Letters by Darren Bennett, with Jamal Campbell providing the cover and an amazing package that opens with the frenetic pace that ended issue number one. And that's our heroine, the newest and farthest flung Green Lantern, currently in active duty hot pursuit of a murder suspect one that she's unable to catch and then is forced to come back to the scene of the crime to try and analyze and i'm sure deduce just what it is that led to 
a second murder, one of two, and the first two in over 500 years in a community that prides itself on its ability to modulate those impulses that might otherwise get us or them into a bit of trouble. And that's when we get into how three distinct races were able to find a system that allowed them to all coexist and then thrive. And in this process, how the decision to modulate emotions through chemicals led to a stasis that allowed coexistence and yet at the same time created what would be an eventual problem. And that's the idea that any time you suppress something, you eventually give it the means to come back stronger, to overcome that presence that's trying to hold it back. And when it comes back stronger, it's often even harder to contain than it would have been if there had been a process in place that was more about blending than about silencing, oppressing, or in other ways, eliminating. And it brings up a really interesting discussion for Joe, our hero, who realizes that in many ways she is not just a stranger, but a stranger who is completely unlike them, completely in touch with her emotions, clearly influence them, and yet, unlike the residents of the planet where she is working her investigation, she is not required to suppress them in order to control herself around others. And it brings into question just how necessary it is for those who live there to rely on a chemical which now might potentially be failing and might be one of the causes, if not the root cause, for why it is that murders have returned to a previously docile community. It should be pointed out that there are some great story-building concepts that come into play, ideas like ship clans, and the fact that traditionally and in the natural world, those residents of this community would have otherwise been classified as predator and prey, and that it's this chemical that is the main component in preventing that from being an everyday occurrence. What will be the resolution, if any, for this challenge that, while initially addressed for the betterment of all people living there, now has turned into something that might be a more serious consequence and require drastic reevaluation of just how things are done. So many of the great tropes for classic detective story are present here in Far Sector Number Two the outsider detective, the community with a secret and a secretive history, one that contains clearly more than a few sins that are considered best left forgotten, but who, in their actions and in their results, may provide many of the answers that Joe needs in order to bring this crime to a close.
In a final note of praise, one of my favorite things about this book is the way that it makes me stare at the images and how quite beautiful the colors and light play off of each other and the way that the accents they place on characters and settings is so powerful that I find myself looking at it more as pieces of art than I do a complete story. And then I read more, and I find that I'm able to move past these gorgeous poster pages and slip into a really compelling story that, for me, has been a wonderful addition to the detective crime genre, and one that I'm looking forward to following as it continues, because I have this feeling that based on the quality of what I've seen, Far Sector will continue to appear here on the spinner rack, which means I get that amazing gift of a job by sharing it with you. Far Sector number two is a very immaculate five out of five from me, and one I'm looking to hear your responses to when you get the chance to let me know. Stay tuned to the end of this episode for all of the ways that I give you to reach out to me and all of us here at DC Comics News. With my second book out of the way, we're going to take a few minutes, pause for an ad break, and then come on back with my third, fourth, and fifth choices. Thanks for hanging out. We'll be right back. Hi, everyone. I'm here to tell you about the DC Comics News podcast. Here every week to talk everything DC. Movies, TV, comics, and everything in between. But don't just take my word for it. Here are a couple of our sponsors. Listen to the DC Comics News Podcast. It's audio justice. <laughs> no, no, no. It's audio chaos. These wackos are crazier than I am. Well, maybe you're both right. Regardless, you can catch us on every kind of podcast platform. Apple Podcasts. Google Play. Spotify. Stitcher. And everywhere you find great podcasts. So, um... Can I go now? Let him go. He did everything you asked. (laughs) No. First, there was the DC Comics News Podcast. Then came the Spinner Rack. And now, the third show brought to you by the guys that brought you all that other stuff I just mentioned. I am the night a story about the stories a show celebrating batman the animated series week by week episode by episode just when you thought it was safe to put on a pair of headphones i am the night and with a click of the button your patience is rewarded the ads have come to a close and here we are Back with DC Comics News Spinner Rack, episode number 37, and our third choice, moving right into Ocean Master number one. Now, Ocean Master is the other name for Orm, the oft-maligned brother of Arthur Curry, otherwise known as Aquaman. And in this story, written by Dan with art by Miguel 
Mendonca. Colors by Ivan Placencia. Letters by Wes Abbott. And a very impressive cover by Francesco Mattina. We hear the story of how Ocean Master Orm became one of the outcasts in Atlantis. An Atlantis who sealed its borders and in doing so trapped him among the denizens that roam alleys and the lesser traveled and regarded slums that exist. Interesting that Atlantis, this perfect city, still has the challenges that exist in almost any thriving, growing, prosperous environment. That there are always those who will have more, and always those who will have less. But it's among them, the lesser, that Orm meets someone known as Dagon. And Dagon's story pushes Orm past his initial responses to this clearly madman, and leads him to consider that following a crazy person just might be his only way to get free from Atlantis. But something happens while he's making his escape. He starts to hear the same voice that Dagon claims has called to him, a voice in the deep, a source of power that just might offer something original, something different, something new to Orm. And when Orm discovers it, he makes the choice to commit body, soul, mind, and life to reaching this source and proving that it's his power and his strength of will that have always made him a rightful king. And when he succeeds and reaches this new power source, he chooses to build his new kingdom by inviting all of the denizens of those slums among whom he lived and through someone like Dagon found not only inspiration but a purpose and a cause for he would be the rightful king of all those in Atlantis. But he would start with the weakest, with those who like him have spent their lives as outcasts, and because of this, he will understand what they need, and as their king, only he can lead them and Atlantis to its rightful place. And what that will be, based on what we know about Ocean Master, is something with great potential and also an underlying threat. Perhaps the most telling moment is how at the end of the story, it's revealed that Lex Luthor might now, based on Orm's actions, be willing to offer one of his fabled gifts as he has throughout the year of the villain crossover. And in this moment, Orm declares that he needs nothing from the surface world or anyone else. And that when he's ready to make his move, it will be Luther who comes seeking gifts from Orm. Whether or not this might hold true, it certainly would be impressive and a bit of a comeuppance for the hopeful king and leader of Atlantis's outcasts. 
I really liked the way so many elements were brought into this story. Most interesting for me, and something I've left out up until this point, is how this story is told to the surface world wife that he's leaving behind in order to choose this destiny, and the threat that he might one day return and show the son that she refuses to allow him to see or to see him to consider whether or not he would rather live with mom or dad. Many, many layers to this story, which was so well crafted, told by Dan Waters and illustrated with the amazing, really amazing art team that makes this issue my third choice and one that receives a very strong five out of five for all of the great storytelling elements and all the wonderful art and collaboration that makes it a really enjoyable comic and one I recommend you pull from the spinner rack this week. Now for my fourth choice, I've made the selection of Justice League Odyssey, number 16, in a story called Lost and Found, written by Dan Abnett, with art by Clift Richards, Colors by Rain Barreto, Letters by Anne World Design, the traditional cover by Will Conrad with Barreto, and a varied cover by Lucio Perillo. Hardest thing about some of these gorgeous colors and gorgeous covers is that it makes it difficult to choose just one. Which one will you choose? Again, stay tuned to the very end for all the ways you can let me know what you're reading, what you liked and didn't like about this episode, books you'd like to include, and anything else you want to share with me and the rest of the team here at DC Comics News. In this story of Lost and Found, we find the team from Justice League Odyssey, for the most part, not present, and the current narrative continuing on with the one hero who has found a way to not become a member of Darkseid's very destructive cadre of new gods. In doing so, Jessica Cruz has been killed, brought back to life, and now contains the combination of broken shards of a Green Lantern ring and the power that stems from the Omega Beams which so often shoot from the eyes of Darkseid and generally kill just about everything in their path. In this moment, Jessica Cruz has found herself among a group of refugees and only recently discovered that one of them is Orion, a new god who has been hiding while Darkseid has put together his sepulchor plan to save the universe and while creatures that hunt new gods at the end of this process that's currently occurring since the destruction of the Source Wall. Darkseid's son Orion is not a nice guy. There's just nothing good about how he treats Jessica or the other members of the crew. So when the Red Lantern cat, or as Jessica calls him, the cat with the at, and Blackfire 
take a technician on a scavenger mission to see if there are enough parts floating around them in a wreckage asteroid belt that might be used to help build their ship and get it back in working order so they can attempt to either A, find somewhere else to B, and make use of the fact that they have a new god on their side, and to find a way to stop whatever it is that Darkseid's ultimate plan is with the Sepulchre. He has the rest of the Justice League team that he's turned into his own version of new gods. They are dangerous, they are powerful, and up until now, and even now, they appear unstoppable. Which is why Jessica needs some answers from the new god who was hiding his identity, and now that it's been revealed, has no other choice but to align himself with people that he really doesn't feel are on par with him. Jessica, as she points out so politely, has already died at the hands of Darkseid and come back to life. Nothing about his son, Orion, or any other new god feels like a real threat to her, based on what she's experienced, what she's gone through, and the fact that she's still standing. We also get a great introduction of a new character, known as Gamma Knife, who has a really fun group of somewhat futuristic-type drones. They have great attitudes, a really nice dose of humor, and make for a character that I think will be sticking around in this series and hopefully will be making appearances elsewhere. It's her arrival that is celebrated on the cover, but it's the arrival of a much more menacing figure aligned with Darkseid's new gods, more specifically the one who had been known as Cyborg and who is referred to by this new threat as a brother new god. His ability to take out Orion in very short order and send the barely breathing but slumped over body of this new god in Jessica Cruz's direction signals to her that she needs everyone to help her and that clearly She's about to face something that just might give her the concern she earlier suggested no longer existed following her death at the hands and resurrection after her experience with Darkseid. She knows she's not up to full strength. The ship they're on is barely held together. Can they somehow stop this new threat, find the pieces they need, put together the ship, and attempt to stop Darkseid? even as one of his new gods, and I'm sure the rest will soon follow, have her in their sights. And, after all that, can she even get back the members of the team that once joined her on this amazing odyssey? Justice League Odyssey was a really great issue for me, and it's doing this amazing job that I find so effective and something that I'm enjoying in other titles as well. But it's this approach of continuing to place characters in unsustainable situations, see what they do, how far they last, and where this takes the story. Really great writing, storytelling, and a really wonderful job from an art team 
supporting a great tale and one that I'm happy to share with you. It wasn't perfect, and that's why I'm happy to give this one a 4.5 out of 5, and why I'm happy to say that despite all that, even with a non-perfect score, this is a great book, and one I'm happy to make my fourth choice here on the DC Comics New Spinner Rack. My fifth and final choice for this edition of the DC Comics New Spinner Rack is Doom Patrol, Weight of the Worlds, issue number six, and a really great story, written by Gerard Way and Jeremy Lambert, with art and color by Omar Francia, lettering by Simon Bolin, and a really fun cover by Nick Darrington. I've been a big fan of this new Doom Patrol book and the issues that have built it into a great take on classic characters with all the playful zaniness you expect from the world of Doom Patrol. This adventure takes place in a cyber environment, one where the team is chasing down a frog driving a scooter laden with baguettes that he's tossing around. They're initially told that this is a great threat and one they must stop, and that only with their help can this digital world be saved. Turns out, though, that that's not actually true, and this frog is the only source of antidote that can stop a computer virus from taking hold and warping this world from good into something evil and twisted, and very unlike what it's intended to be. One of my favorite moments is when it's pointed out that clearly our heroes don't know much about computers. Otherwise, they would have seen through the ruse that they were told to execute and also all the ways that they simply weren't using their heads. And now that they need to, can it be enough to stop a digital threat? I don't know about you, but I'm not very computer savvy. And what I can pull off is often a surprise. Facing a computer threat, I would probably want to listen to who I thought was an expert. But what if they're an expert at getting me to do the wrong thing and make things worse? Sounds like quite the scenario, quite the conundrum, and one of the reasons why I really enjoyed reading this story and sharing it with you. A side story, or the B story, is that of Robot Man, Cliff who is upgrading his system and all of the things it contains with each new positive accomplishment. But it feels like it's becoming something like a drug, a fixation, or an addiction. It has all the potential to do so much good. And if it's abused, what will that good be twisted into? The great thing about Cliff is... He's a thoughtful, reflective, and constantly evolving character, which means in time we'll not only get a chance to see from him what this is all leading to, but also the interpretation of his team, which is really important when you get a bit farther outside yourself than you intend, and you need those who can remind you just who you are, just what it is 
you want to be, and whether or not you need a little bit of help getting back to that place that feels more like home. I really thought this was a, a great adventure, one that visually reminded me all of those great early internet movies like Hackers that portrayed beautiful digital landscapes and the wonders that we believe the internet still is holding for us should we choose to take the risk and venture into a digital world. One in this story that has to do with Digital Justin. Doom Patrol Weight of the Worlds number 6 was a great way for me to wrap up this episode of DC Comics News Spinner Rack. Episode number 37 contained great stories of deduction, of empathy, and for me, more impressively, a zany little twist right at the end, because even during the holidays, it's nice to know that there can be a little bit of fun, along with the somber and important messages that we also need reminding of. Once again, this has been the DC Comics News Spinner Rack, episode number 37. I've been your host, Seth Singleton, and as I promised, we're at the end of this episode, where I get the chance to let you know all the ways that you can reach out to me and all of us here at DC Comics News. To begin with, to make sure you never miss an episode of this or all of our great programming, you can find DC Comics News on all the major podcast platforms, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or Google Play. All you have to do is find it on your favorite platform and then subscribe. And because it's fun, rate and review. Leave us a great message and let us know what you think. You can also follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr, or YouTube at the tag at DC Comics News. And of course, a reminder to check out our co-conspirator Steve J. Ray and his new podcast, I Am the Night, an episode-by-episode breakdown of the classic Batman the Animated Series. And when you subscribe, you'll never miss an episode of the team of collaborators, writers, reviewers, who are part of the DC Comics News podcast team. Make sure to subscribe, rate, review, leave us all your comments, and let us know what you're thinking. And of course, during these cold winter days, always read more comics. Thanks again, folks. See you next time.